Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Slays of the Day podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Brunswick, and today we have a non-chiropractor guest on, um, and I think you're going to like her. I think you're going to like her a lot. Um, so before we get into that, can we just talk about Kim Kardashian for a second? Don't fast forward. Don't fast forward. This is important stuff. It's not really that important. Um, so do you guys know? as much as some of you may not love the Kardashians, that they actually love chiropractic. Do you know that? Um, and that's actually how I rule my world is whether someone values chiropractic or not. That's why my favorite golfer is Rory McIlroy, because he has filmed not one, but two Nike commercials with him getting adjusted. Oh, for God's sake, it better be a licensed chiropractor in that. Here's why I ask. Um, okay, who's the guy I hate? Oh, I don't hate anyone. That's me. All right. It's not Bryson DeChambeau. I like him. Anyways, there's this other golfer. Mm, I, I don't like him, but I really wish I could think of his name. But he just comes across like this like meathead. And so one day I saw some headlines saying that he got adjusted um, on like the ninth hole or whatever on the, on the field, on the green. And I was like, oh, okay, hold on. Maybe I like this guy. You know, because anybody who likes chiropractic, I'm there for it. So I look it up, like, does so-and-so like chiropractic? And, or like his caddy, because they said his caddy, that's what it was. His caddy adjusted him, and I'm like, is his caddy a chiropractor? This ties in to the whole my Kim Kardashian story in a minute. And so I'm down this rabbit hole. No. His caddy is not a chiropractor, but his caddy has been known to Colts adjust him during tournaments. And I'm like, oh, hell no. I hate you even more. Um, but that being said, Kim Kardashian has a licensed chiropractor that's been on her episodes before. And like in another world where I'm still in a meta universe because we've gotten down the Marvel thing. And I'm not going to get distracted and go there. But anyways, we just started Marvel as a family. That's right. But in a meta universe where I'm still a chiropractor, but like, I don't know more like free spirited and not like tied down by a brick and mortar and, and a family. I'm just kidding. I love my family. I have like dreams that I would apply to be Kim Kardashian's nanny. I don't even really like Kit that much, but I wouldn't tell her that. And I would say, and I'm a chiropractor. So like, 
you get a nanny and chiropractor. And I would just get to live with Kim Kardashian and be a part of all that and just live my sub dream life. Um, but <laughs> another Kim K, Kim K, she's my friend. That's what I call her. Um, stories. I was watching her new season on Hulu and she was talking about how she was getting emotional when she hosted for SNL. Uh, for those that don't know, she hosted for SNL and she had, oh my gosh. The, okay. So she had Michelle Wolf, Amy Schumer, and Dave Chappelle all involved in writing her jokes, which is crazy. Those are amazing comedians, but she was getting all choked up. She looked, was just looking dead eye into the camera and was like, I'm actually super emotional right now, but I'm wearing makeup. And so I can't cry. And I just laugh because I feel like that is me in a nutshell. Not necessarily the like, I don't want to mess up my makeup, but there is a time and a place to cry. And I have the capability to just be like, oh, I'm feeling feelings right now. I'm holding them in because it's not an appropriate time to cry. And some people think I'm a monster for that. So anyways, uh, if Kim Kardashian is listening, I will leave my life for you. Um, just throwing that out there. Sorry, Kirby. Okay, so today's listener highlight comes from Dr. Casey Hovist, I think. Um, and she said... Hello, we were driving to my nine-year-old's volleyball game, and I put my foot down and refused to listen to preteen music. I don't know what she means by preteen here. Um, is this like kids bop, nine-year-old? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I am here with you then, Casey. Me either. So she said, I turned on your podcast, and my grumpy nine-year-old started chuckling about four minutes into it. She said, okay, if I have to listen to your stuff, can it be this? This is funny, and I'm learning. You guys, I just got the compliment of the century. A nine-year-old thinks I'm funny, but I do worry, Casey, if I swore a lot in that episode. And I have been known, I think there was one episode where I talked about the tooth fairy. Not going to say anything more, but I remember when I said it, like, oh, I need to stop talking about this. Um, so that is great. And I hope your nine-year-old learned more than just some swear words from me. So, all right. So today's, today's guest, you guys, um, I, so it's Brandy Mabra and she is the CEO of Savvy Clover Coaching and Consulting. So basically she's a coach to CEO and private practice owners. While I was talking to her, I actually got inspiration for what our quarterly meeting is going to be on, um, which is usually like this four hour in-depth meeting that, you know, you gotta come up with like, all right, what are we going to do? Especially since my staff's been around for five years, you're going to like reinvent the wheel somehow. And, um, but talking to her, I got really inspired as to an exercise that I'm going to take my team through, um, just tons of really good information. So she has 15 years of business management and leadership experience, helping to build, manage, and lead multi-million dollar group practices from the C-suite. And, uh, she explains what the C-suite is in, in our interview. So it's this experience that she uses to empower her clients to own their CEO status, streamline their operations, and build their ride-or-die dream teams. 
Stepping up as the CEO of your business and feeling reluctant and fearful about it is normal. However, she believes you deserve to build the next phase of your business. Go after the lifestyle you crave and success you're meant to achieve outside of just building a business. This episode is jam-packed. We talk about hiring. I think we talk about firing even. We talk about burnout for you. We talk about burnout for your employees. It is good. This is for all CEOs. Uh, Come on, grab a seat at the table, grab some pen and paper, be prepared to take notes. So let's pray and then let's do this. Dear God, thank you so much for open hearts and open minds that are willing to do the work to become better leaders. Um, help us to remember that you did not ask us to show up perfect and that part of being the heart-centered leader that you want us to be is continually growing and learning and pouring into not just everyone around us but ourselves so we can be that CEO and leader that we were called to be. Uh, to anyone listening that is not sure whether they're feeling that call or not, whether or not they have what it takes, uh, give them that nudge. Be real, make it obvious to them, God. Like, just let them know what you want from them. Um, be the wind to their sailboat and encourage them to take action on building that CEO life, even if they don't believe in themselves quite yet. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Here is my conversation with Brandy Mata. All right, Brandy. Well, I don't really have any other way than welcome you to the show, except saying welcome to the She Slays the Day podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, so we were talking about how you're from Charlotte, North Carolina, but don't carry the accent. No, I this don't. Nice, very <laughs> clear Midwest <laughs> accent from Ohio. Yeah, but you know, what's funny, though, is I remember I was on spring break, and they thought that I was from the South. So they're like, you talk Southern. And then when I moved down here, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, you, you talk, you don't have a Southern accent. So I'm you like, don't have a Southern accent. Yeah, you can't win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's jump in. So your brand, um, and everything that you like to talk about and on your Instagram is about the CEO. And I feel like that is, I, I don't know, it's kind of becoming almost like a buzzword. <laughs> so when you are talking CEO, is this anyone who owns a business? Is this like, you don't have to own a business? Is it the same as a boss? Like, what does a CEO mean to you? Yeah, for me, it means that essentially you're taking ownership for what you're building. And so as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you are taking the accountability. Oftentimes when we get into business, initially it's because of a passion or because we want to help people or because we want to make an impact. Um, and so when we dive in, the that's great and wonderful. We're able to get to a certain place, but then it becomes, oh, this is a real business. Like, oh, this is, you know, money. This is client experience. This is, you know, hiring and team building and leading a team and, you know, all the things that really go into having a profitable, sustainable business. And so when you think about things from a CEO perspective, I look at it from a business management leadership 
uh, point of view. And then I also look at it from what are you doing for you as the business owner? Uh, for me specifically, I love working with private practice owners just because of my background. You know, I come from 15 years of business management leadership experience, building multi-million dollar practices. And so I know oftentimes when it comes to practitioners who are starting businesses and some of the clients that I work with, that business management leadership skill set isn't always taught. It can feel scary. It can feel kind of daunting. And so I believe when you own your CEO role and you take responsibility for what you're building and you take responsibility for yourself and you take responsibility for the business and you can have a beautiful lifestyle where you're not at the mercy of what's happening, but you're more in control of what's happening. So that's what it means to me. Yeah, that's awesome. We talked a little bit before I started recording about like chiropractors and just kind of how it's almost presented. Like It's getting better. In 2022, it is officially better than it was when I graduated 11 years ago. Um, but in general, you know, we're kind of, it's just assumed you're going to, you're going to be CEO, you're going to run your own business and you kind of are made to feel bad about it if you're not. So in my world of chiropractic, what I see, and I'm curious to see if you see this like outside of chiropractic um, and other professions, is there's this like um, naivety, maybe that um, of like, ah, being a business owner is going to be awesome. I'm going to love it. I see all these TikToks about how I should totally do this and working for someone else is the worst. Um, and then there's this like, it's not until you get going. It's like you start with this like momentum of like, ooh, what should my brand colors be? And what font <laughs> should I use? And then you're in practice and you're like, wait, how, why, I did all the things. How come the people aren't coming? Like, do you see this like settle in once people start practicing? Or Oh, absolutely. I mean, you go into like, I'm going to own my days. I'm going to be able to sleep in. I'm going to be able to have my own schedule and, you know, all of the things. And so that's the fun part of it. But to your point, there's the business side of it. There's the real where your paycheck and your mortgage and your car payment and your team, you know, payroll, all of those things start to hit. Um, and if the clients aren't there or if the revenue's down or if things look off or, you know, clients aren't happy, your team isn't happy, like all the things that can happen. Yes, it's it's a reality check. And so I do see that amongst, you know, some of even just general business owners, but also I, I see it a lot with with especially with private practice owners and just the different physicians that I work with. I work with therapists. Um, I worked with chiropractors, you know, so essentially I do see it as it's just, it's the fun part of it. You know, it's the fun to be able to think about like, oh, I can create this really great reality for myself and I can create this really great business for myself um, and I can do more, but there's the unsexy side of it too, that you have to do your part. You have to monitor, you have to have metrics, you have to look at, you know, key performance indicators, you have to hire with intention, you have to have strategy and all of that is the real side, but you can still have, one of the things I always say, you can still have the life that you're envisioning. You can still have the beautiful brand colors and you can still have, you know, the owning of your days, but you can still have the life that you're craving, but it comes with you understanding the business side and understanding the fact that you might have to enhance your skill set, understanding that you're going to make some mistakes along the way and just learning the lessons that go through it. Uh, because there's definitely, once you get to the other side of it, then it can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. So it, yeah, it's worth I, it for me. I think I'm still busting through to the other side. No, yeah. um, 
so you kind of briefly mentioned like that you did something for 15. What, what is your, like, did you always want to do what you're doing now or how did you get to this point? Yeah, well, my background is actually clinical. And so I have a, a bachelor's in exercise physiology. So I've always, and I come from a long line of healthcare. So uh, for me, it's always been wellness. My mom, you know, she's always talked about holistic, you know, and just how there's more than just taking medicine and, you know, just all of the things. And so that's essentially when I got to my program, I started out in cardiac rehab. And, you know, trying to do things I did inpatient, outpatient cardiac rehab. And essentially, I worked for a, for a cardiology practice and started an internship program. And with that, I got some really great management experience. If you were to look me up online, you'll see that I've been featured for my story. Like I've moved from Ohio to North Carolina, uh, you know, after filing bankruptcy as a single mother um, with my last paycheck, a rental car and it's no job, <laughs> you know, and so I've been able to work my way to um, having a really great management career, ultimately leading to the C-suite in healthcare. So I have a master's in health administration. And so I've been able to work in a number of different specialties from cardiology, ophthalmology, allergy and asthma, um, um, you know, primary care, um, you know, and currently working with therapists and, you know, just private practice owners who do not have that business side of things. I would love to say when I started my business, like, oh, I know that I wanted to, you know, essentially help private practice owners. But the journey is always windy and, and um, you know, just long and clarity and different things. So essentially, when I first started my business, it was career coaching because I would always get asked, especially being a black woman, how did you get to the C-suite? You know, how are you able to, you know, move up in your career? How are you able to do some of the things? Because I've worked for corporate. I've worked for small businesses when it comes to practices that are trying to grow and scale. And, you know, after posts like private equity purchases, you know, all of the things. How have you been able to do that? And so I did career coaching for a quick hot second because I realized me trying to help you with resumes and everything else too. And so when I stepped into the space, I realized it was my business management and leadership experience. that was actually what people really needed. And then once I started to step into the space and people would hear about the fact that I have been able to build so many practices um, and have that skill set to do so, then private practice owners started to reach out to me, started, you know, I started working with them one-on-one. Um, and so essentially that has led to me making my pivot, which is, you know, everything always comes into full alignment, but it feels so nice just to be able to go in and see like where things are chaotic or where the, I don't understand my numbers. I don't understand where my profitability, you know, I'm making more money, but I'm not taking home more money. You know, I've hired like they told me to do, but this person isn't working out and I feel uncomfortable, you know, letting them go or I've overpaid or, you know, I have a lot of contractors, but I really think that they should be W2, but I don't understand what it means to have like a business culture, like all those questions, you know, and then it, if for some practices that take insurance, you know, that's like a whole other conversation that we can go into. So essentially it's all of those things. So it's nice to be able to have a skill set to be able to understand, especially coming from a business coaching perspective, you know, what the struggles are, what the challenges are and then to understand truly how a practice works so whether if you're cash-based or if it's insurances or if it's a combination of both you know I understand what it means from a clinical perspective and then I also understand it from an administrative perspective so it's been a nice pivot and it's been nice to just to be welcome to the community too so yeah it seems like I mean because you went into you know you were you came from healthcare 
new mm -hmm. cardiac rehab, which is probably a booming business right now. Um, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there either. And that and insurance will avoid. Um, but it kind of seems like you realized that you liked the business side. I was on a podcast recently and they were asking about like, if I knew like from the time I was a little girl that I wanted to be a boss and a CEO. And I was like, no, not at all. It wasn't until really a couple of years into my career that, you know, you're kind of like, okay, there's working in the practice and there's working mm -hmm. on the practice. Yes. And I really like, I mean, I love adjusting patients, but I also really liked this on the practice. It's actually how this podcast started. It was because mm -hmm. I loved helping other chiropractors like work on the practice and like solve some of those things. So is your story kind of the same where it's like you, it, you realize later or did you have an inkling earlier as a kid that like, yeah, I had an inkling when I was like five years old sitting that no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm always jealous of people who have that story. I'm like, I'm like oh, what? No, like for the longest time, like even in my management career, I was a job hopper. So I was like, I would be hired specifically what I learned and what my sweet spot was is I would be hired for a practice to fix it, you know? So it was like, if the team wasn't happy or if it needed to be restructured or if it was losing money, like all those things. And I would go in, I would fix it and I'd get bored. So I'd move on to the next position or, you know, find the next, what was up, you know, the next level up. And so once I got into the C-suite, I realized like, oh, I'm burned out. You know, I'm working all these crazy hours and essentially at that point in time, people were hiring me specifically for my, for my skill set. So I call my skill set, you know, the CEO skill set is like the million dollar skill set essentially. So for you, like learning how to work on the practice is a game changer compared to just being in the practice where you're just going from, you know, one patient or one client, you know, to the next and just going from one task to the other. But essentially I realized I wanted to have the ability to own my days and I wanted to have the ability to have the flexibility and I wanted to, you know, my values are with my family. So essentially that's what I put first. And that's what started to, in the regards to morph into this whole transition. Um, yeah. So it's, it's all a journey. It's all a journey. And so it's, you know, I think everything always just comes full circle, but I created the position that I wanted for myself in my own C-suite compared to working for someone else's C-suite is essentially what I came to the conclusion. What is C-suite? Sorry. C-suite is the, <laughs> it's like where, you know, it's like in um, eventually like when your practice gets bigger and so you hire leadership. So like your leadership is inside mm -hmm. of C-suite. So like for me, it was, I was a COO. So COOs, CEO, um, CFO, C-suite. Oh, yes, the C-suite. Yes. I get so it. So maybe my, maybe my North Carolina accent or my Ohio accent is taking over, but yes. Yeah, so where your chief, uh, you know, your chief operation yep. people, your leadership is, is inside the C-suite. So, um, yeah. Got it. So it's just, yeah, it's just the people who are really truly working on the practice yes. in order to like grow it and expand it. Uh, that's where I was. <laughs> okay. So I'd kind of like to start with like our single, like business people. And then kind of, as our conversation goes on, we can go towards the, like, 
bigger, like big team, because I definitely have some like team questions for you. Um, but let's start with somebody when they are like, they initially hang their shield, their, their shingle and they are all the C's. <laughs> they are, they're yeah. every C, <laughs> they're everything. Do you find that they, like, what are some of the struggles you see that person deal with? Oh, they're in the weeds. They're not thinking mm -hmm. bigger. They're just literally thinking, I just have this day in front of me. Let me just focus on this day. They don't necessarily take the time that they need to work on the business. So even if you're at that stage where you're in the business, so you're the one who is, you're wearing all the C's, all the hats, you know, all the emails, doing all the billing, you know, like answering the phone, scheduling the appointments, like all of that. Um, essentially that's normal, but at some point in time, you do have to make a shift. And so one of the things I always recommend is in the beginning stages to know this isn't going to be my life forever and that you're going to at some point hire. So even if you're in that phase to take some time to schedule some hours to take a day, um, you know, just to look at metrics and see exactly what you're doing from a revenue standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from, you know, um, client and patient experience standpoint, from if you do need to hire, you know, what is that going to look like for you? Because at some point in time, you're going to get to a place where it's not just going to be you anymore. So being more proactive compared to reactive, that's what I always find is it's just, you're just going again from one task to the next test to the next test. And then something happens, maybe you're trying to fix something, um, you fix it, and then you move on to the next thing compared to taking the time to actually think, oh, why am I fixing something? Or am I really enjoying what I'm working on? You know, do I want to do my own social media? Do I want to, you know, do I want to do all the scheduling? Do I want to answer the phone? Do I want to try to set up my own, you know, um, EHR system? Like, you know, like all of those types of things, just asking yourself the question and getting really clear on, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to be the one to do all these things. And even from a clinical perspective, do I want to be the one who is adjusting the, you know, adjusting the patients? Like, do I enjoy this work? You might enjoy it in the beginning, but what I find is eventually at some point in time, there is a transition where I've talked to some of my clients and they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And I think sometimes that's a hard place to be because you feel guilty. You've spent money on your education. You've, you know, gone to school for a long time, you know, all of those things. And so to say, I don't enjoy this anymore, you feel that guilt and it's, it's a mindset shift. So even if you're in the midst of it, just face it to realize and step into what is the vision that you have truly for the practice? You know, where do you anticipate yourself being five years from now? Where do you want to be at even maybe next, this time next year and just step into it and then come to the conclusion of what do I need in order to get there and then work your way backwards, but don't get stuck in what I call like the worker bee mentality where you're just like, I'm the person who does all the things and this is what it is. And I'm just mm -hmm. going to, this is going to be my life forever. Just realize there's something bigger. From a profitability standpoint, I mean, this is, I know this is a hard question to answer because it depends, but like in general, if I were a chiropractor, that's like, I'm going to start my own business. I got, you know, this little space and I have zero people on my books. Um, do you recommend hiring that front desk person right away? Or do, from a profitability standpoint, do you say like work a little bit, then hire? Like what, what do you recommend? I say that if you're able to swing it higher, I always say hire early. If you can hire early, it's going to free things up in your plate and it feels the opposite. So if you can, and it might not be where you're hiring someone to help you 
you know, 40 hours a week, but if you can hire someone maybe for a couple of hours, or if you can hire somebody for, you know, maybe it's five hours a month, maybe it's 10 hours a month. If you can do that, then that's going to free you up in order to have your schedule more open in order to see more clients. So if you're so full with just doing all the mundane tasks or in the weeds work and not able to see really truly like where the money's coming from, then that's, you're going to make less money compared to if you're able to free up your time and your space and get rid of some of the admin things, that's going to help you make more money. And then you take that mentality and you just build on it and you build on it, you know, as you're growing and you're scaling. Um, And so people get so stuck in, well, I don't have to pay that person. I don't have a lot of money. And they forget about the fact that it's going to free up your time. So you can go out and you can make more money, you know, essentially. The so this is a phenomenon that, that you're talking about. And I have experienced, oh my God, probably like 15 different times in the last 11 years where I go like, I definitely want to hire someone. And I think I am almost there. Mm-hmm. Once I get there, then I will feel comfortable hiring someone, but inevitably I get stuck here right before there, you know, so like, let's say, let's say that I decided I wanted to hire my first front desk person. Um, you know, once I got to like 30 people a week, 30 adjustments a week. And that's when I feel like I'm going to be able to like, okay, I can swing the numbers. I would always get stuck just like in the twenties. And I would be like, oh my gosh, 28, 29, this is the week. And then like, maybe I would do 31 time. And I'd be like, okay, I just need to replicate it. And then I'm going to put an ad out. And then it'd be like 22. And I'm like, why is this like, is this something that you see? Like that? Uh, you just, how do you force absolutely. people to like, have to <laughs> take, the jump? take the leap, just take the leap sometimes. And I hate to say this, but I do, I push my clients off the edge. Like just take the leap, go ahead and hire. You know, there was literally, and the opposite happens too. Sometimes you do hire. And you don't delegate though. So I've had clients where they're still working like seven days a week and they have a team that's right there to take things. So if you're going to do it, take the leap, because if you do take the leap, then that 28 will turn into 31, 32, 33, mm-hmm. 34, you know, like all the things. Um, so yeah, but we go through mindset, we usually go back and decide what's what's holding you back, because sometimes it's more than just the money. Like one of my clients, she's so nervous, she's going to run out of money. Like if I make this next hire, I'm going my the money is going to go dry. So going back to where's that come? from what's that fear because sometimes when you're not taking the next step it's it's truly mindset it's mindset and why is it 30 is that why is that your number you know just Mm -hmm. getting a little bit deeper but ultimately you have to pull the trigger you have to pull the trigger you have to trust yourself that you're going to be able to make it work and that you're going to you know excel because you're going to have be in a place again to see the 30th person to see the 31st and the 32nd person compared to I only can see 28 people. Well, maybe if you had the time to, or someone else was maybe reaching out to the next person or could call somebody or could recall somebody or get someone on the schedule, then you would hit 31 or 32, you know? So but you have to be thinking about that bigger yeah, picture. Exactly. In the weeds. Exactly. Um, so key KPIs, key performance indicators for the yes. listener. Um, are those what you look at in like the beginning? Like, is that what you really take into consideration when you're about to like take that leap of like looking at those and then leaping 
And can yeah, you talk take, about like what are some of the common ones? Yeah, I would always say look at the number of visits that are happening. I, you know, week over week, month over month, look at the money. It's like I say, look at money daily. So if you have money coming in daily, whether if it's through cash or if it's co-pays or, you know, money that's coming in from insurance payments, like all of those things, look at like, look at the money, you know, essentially to find out where the money is coming in or the money is not coming in, you know, sending out statements, um, reconciling your money. I find that oftentimes those financial processes are missing because they didn't grow the practice with those financial processes in mind. So that's a big one. Um, so how much like daily revenue, weekly revenue, monthly revenue um, are really great ones, um, you know, comparing month over month just to get a really good feel. And then once you're in your practice over time, then year over year when it comes to money. The other thing, too, is paying attention to visits, looking at visits, you know, year over year, month over month. And then if you have a really great month, asking the question why. Um, if you're a combination of how money's coming in, getting a really clear understanding of where that money is coming from, so that way you can duplicate it or tap in more to it, um, you know, those types of things. And then from hiring, once you actually have a team, then to, you know, pay attention to, is there a certain amount of phone calls that are coming in? Um, for you, you can always pay attention to that. So even going back to the client who's nervous about running out of money. Well, she knows that there's about 5,000 5, calls that come into her practice in a month. Her team is only able to answer about 1,200 of those calls, right? So essentially, if you're nervous about running out of money, that's not a problem. Within those 5,000 calls, I'm sure that there's clients who need to be seen, um, you know, <laughs> like, you know, so essentially the question- She doesn't seem like she should be worried about running out of money. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but these are some of the mindset things too. So paying attention to what the- true reality is of the performance of the practice. So again, you know, how many phone calls are coming in? How many, how many people are you, are you seeing? How much money? Um, and then you just get really clear on what, what the overall health is uh, of the, of the practice. And you step into that because that's truly where the actual truth is going to be coming in from. What's, what's your advice to someone who's in their first year though, where they're like, I don't know what a trend. That's a question I'll get of like, all right, well, this was my first March. So was it a good March or are marches really good in practice, which they are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> marches and Octobers are my favorite. Um, but how, how do you tell a brand new CEO, like how to take away trends when they don't have enough data, how to make predictions when they just don't have enough data yet. Yeah, you can always do market research, essentially. Um, but the one of the things too is just to track, start tracking. So regardless if it was a great month or if it, you don't know if it was a great month, it felt like a great month, track the numbers and that way you can start the trending. And then also to think about how do you feel? You know, how did you feel going through the month? Sometimes what we what we forget about is, us as the person. So if you are working all the early mornings, the late nights, you know, you skipped lunch, you didn't go to the bathroom, you know, those types of things. Um, you know, thinking about that too, like holistically. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I'm like, oh yeah. Like, there was a phase where I like I needed like I had a hand signal for me, my CA where I'm like, I have to be. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so looking at those things too. So you can and then going back to again, revenue, you know, how much money came in, you know, how many people did you see? Um, you know, how was your energy? Um, you know, how many, like thinking about phones, you can always find reporting. Like if you have systems in your practice, 
find the reports that come with those systems because mm-hmm. there's that's always a great resource um essentially too because especially nowadays with like all the systems um they come with blogs they come with you know additional information you can talk to reps you can talk to vendors you know get to get an idea of what's working what's not working what's best practices you know what's standard um you know, are you using things the most efficient? So what I find too, is a lot of times you'll buy a system and you might be using it, but are you using it the most efficient way? Because as your practice grows, you can start to lose money in operations. You can start to lose money in how the practice is running. And so one of the things I always say is chaos costs money. Well, when Mm -hmm. you're first starting out, getting really a a good understanding of of what your systems offer and then what benefits come with that too, because there's a lot of resources too that are built in for you too. That is so hard. I was literally, so like I said, I've been in practice 11 and a half years. Um, We have quite a large practice from a chiropractic standpoint. We've got three clinics, um, four docs. And, and I was literally talking to one of my, like my, my CFO, maybe we'll talk her. I mean, my husband's technically, but like, she's the one who really deals with accounts yesterday and we're having this conversation and she makes a a recommendation about something. And I was like, well, that seems, that seems like a really obvious, like, yeah, we don't do that. And she's like, (laughs) no. And I was like, well, that sounds like that would make our life a lot easier. And she's like, yeah, I think it would. And I'm like, how the hell did it take 11 years? But like, it's so difficult when you are in that 30 person a week mentality to understand how, what happens when uh, there's a thousand people a week. And I feel Mm. like that is like, I don't know if you see this with other people or if I just insist on learning the hard way, but I feel like we're now finally in this mindset where, you know, we're seeing like 700 and some we're needing to hire on at a more aggressive rate. We're kind of like, okay, we need to get better at onboarding. And so we're like, okay, this isn't gonna work if we double. Like if we double, where are the wheels gonna fall off? And it's finally starting to become clear, but then I just go, yeah, but then when we get to 1500, am I just gonna be like, oh, this is a dumb system. Like, is this what you see? Or can somebody truly in the beginning be able to look and make these decisions or is it kind of you just learn and pivot and learn and pivot? Yeah, it's a combination of both. I think the in the beginning stages, you don't know to look at it or you don't mm-hmm. know to pay attention to it. And so essentially, and that's what I always find, like every practice I was hired to fix, it was always operational processes and team essentially, which was causing, like the money was coming in, you know, millions and millions of dollars are coming in. That wasn't the problem. The problem was in the systems and the operational workflows. Mm-hmm. That's really where the issue came in. And so a lot of times you're just doing and you're just seeing and what I loved about what you just said is you don't want to double down on chaos. You don't want to add more to something that is just band-aid solutions and now you're trying to grow it. Or you are, you know, instead of having three locations now, like, oh, well, let me do six or let me add a fourth. Well, all you're doing is replicating chaos and you're going to feel it, you know, as you grow compared to fixing what you have, getting really good at what you're doing and then you grow, you know? And so sometimes it, it, you have to take a stop and you have to start to look at things. You have to pay attention. Um, sometimes you have to bring someone in to look at things, you know, outside eyes. What I love about what you're saying is, is, is with your CFO, it's outside eyes looking in. If you're the one who's in it every single day, you're not necessarily asking why, but for, 
you know, as you're growing, start to ask the question, why? Why are we doing things this way? You know, is this the best way? Like, is this, can we do things more efficiently? Are we doing things that are duplicative? Are we doing things that are manual? I mean, right down to if you're printing paper, do you have to walk 20 steps to get to, you know, to get the the piece of paper that you just printed off? That takes time. That takes money. So looking at those little minute things that you just don't think about is honestly where you can save money where you'll make more money um, because now you're paying attention to how you're doing things compared to just doing so and asking yourself why. Yeah. And it's, it's um, something that definitely happens when I'm talking to chiropractors and, you know, they're in the beginning stage and they're like, Oh no, it's no big deal. We just do this. And it's like, yeah, but like, that's not going to work when you extrapolate out a lot. Um, I was talking to a chiropractor back on my Dallas trip um, that we were talking about where the Uber driver complimented me on my, uh, my accent. Uh, and I was talking to this chiropractor and he, you know, he was in his sixties, which I don't know why that matters in my mind. It like gives me bandwidth to like grow and turn into him when I grow up. Um, but he said like, yeah, we currently have 11 practices and we, um, our, our goal is to have 20 by the end of 2022. And like, I think I choked on my gin and soda because I was just like, what? And it kind of came back to what you were saying though. He had figured out clear systems that mm-hmm. worked. And when your systems work, then you're just replicating a system that works. And that's where I, that's where I'm working to get. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's true. Cause it is, it's just a recipe. Essentially you're just buying a building. You might have a different team because every practice location, I'm sure you can, it can relate to this has its own personality. Um, you know, just because of the demographic of Mm -hmm. where maybe the location, the, you know, maybe the, um, clinicians that are there, the, you know, the administrative, all of that contributes to the personality of the practice. However, the system should be the same, right? So it's just a recipe. You're just taking in, here's our recipe, duplicating it, and then you move on to the next, move on to the next location. And you do it again, move on to the next, and you do it again until something tells you this isn't working or if you're getting, you know, maybe complaints or things are becoming more challenging, then you stop and you you do the exact same thing. You fix what's broken and, you know, before you move on. And sometimes what I find is the, the mistake is, people just keep trying to do it. So mm-hmm. just take the time to stop and analyze and to pay attention is what we're doing working and what do we need to do in order to fix some things to make it better. Okay. Let's um, talk about the skill set of yeah. an entrepreneur, the CEO. So one of the words that you already threw out there was when we talked about hiring that first person and you said like they can fail, you push them out of the nest and they fail because they fail to delegate. Is delegation one of like the first most important skills to learn? Yes. Hire. Well, you want to hire the right person. So hiring with Mm. intention, making sure that you're clear on what you need that person to do. So having a job description, not just hiring somebody and saying, oh, well, I think you can do this. You might be able to help with this. No, having a clear understanding for what are they going to do after you hire them. So it starts there. But then once you hire them, then being willing to let things go, being willing to train, um, you know, not feeling like you have to keep things on your plate because you're nervous. Like, well, I'm nervous to give it to them. They might mess it up, you know, and essentially too, especially when it comes to your own business, 
that's your face, that's your reputation, that's your name. Um, so there's a lot of like mindset things that can come with that. But ultimately realizing you're not doing yourself any favor and you're not doing your hire any favor by just keeping it with you. So delegate it. But when you delegate it, you delegate with clear communication. That means that you are asking for feedback. You know, when I'm, huh, is what I'm saying clear? Do you understand? Making sure that that is there, having a due date. Um, you know, having follow-up conversations about what you're delegating, especially in the beginning, and then making sure that you're just open to it, open to them making mistakes, open to you making mistakes, because as you're leading, especially if you've never led before or managed anybody before, it's going to be uncomfortable, you know, essentially, even for me, I've led hundreds of people <laughs> and, you know, and so it's just, even with my business, sometimes I struggle to delegate to my team. Sometimes I'm holding on to too many things. Sometimes I'm nervous to let things go. But at the end of the day, one of the things that I have done is I've given my team the flexibility and if have encouraged them to give me feedback. So if they see I'm being a bottleneck, if they see I'm holding on to something, then they call me out, you know, they call me out on it, Brandy we need you to get out of the way. Brandy, you know, we, we can do this. We got this, you know, we understand. And so that's always making it, um, it's make, it's made it easier essentially, but it's just all about open, clear communication and realizing you don't have to be the one to do everything. You don't have to have all the answers. Um, this isn't about perfection. It's essentially about you hiring somebody who can be a partner with you in order for you to build something that's going to be greater. Yeah. That whole being okay with them messing up and making mistakes. Oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> like it. Like, um, I'm sure our business is not unique when I say this, but I am absolutely obsessed with the patient experience mm -hmm. and mess ups. Like I know they happen because people are human and I mess up once a year for sure. Um, but like, I, I, that's, what's holding me back is like, I am totally okay with somebody doing it for me. Like, yes, I will delegate the heck out of something as long as they don't mess it up. And that's where I really struggle of mm -hmm. like, I can do it faster and better. And I, that's, it's just a mindset issue that I don't know how to get over. Yeah. I think always asking yourself, okay, if I get this off my plate, what is the worst thing that they can do with it? You know, what is patient? And that's possible. That is possible. But let me ask you a question, you know, here. So if you lose the, if you do lose the patient, are you going to be able to rectify that situation? Would you be able to, you know, call the patient and to try to explain what happened or to take responsibility? I know that with all the patient complaints that I've ever taken um, at some point, usually patients, most times patients are understanding most times, you know, the phone call helps or the email helps or the, you know, just having the, the open conversation about what happened, what went wrong, that can always, that can be fixed essentially. You know, it's not that every single patient is going to end up going to Google and giving you, you know, one star and I hate the provider and don't go to the office, you know, all those things. And even if sometimes I've had clients where that has happened, and they've called, they've addressed the situation and the patient's gone and taken it down, you know? So mm -hmm. it's again, just getting really clear on what is the worst thing that can happen. And if that worst thing happens, what am I going to do? Still what, be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do to rectify it? And you know, what is the best thing that can happen? If I delegate this, it's so much what easier is the, to think about what the, exactly, exactly. Yep. But yeah, but what is the best thing that can happen? If I get this off my plate, 
what am I going to be able to accomplish, <laughs> you know, by this not being here? So think about both scenarios. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll keep working on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things that, so as we start building our team, um, you know, as a CEO, you just want everyone to love your baby as much as you do. Um, but it's really difficult, you know, so I have three other doctors that work for me and I want them to stick around forever. So one of the, like, how can I get my employees to have just the most buy-in possible without absolutely screwing over my profitability? Yeah. Because that's my answer is I'm like, let's just pay them more. (laughs) My husband's like, they they can't make more money than us. (laughs) So um, essentially, I would say that it comes down to engaging them with the process. So that's where you can get the biggest buy-in. So if something's happening within the practice, you know, involving them, you know, letting them know, keeping them up to date, getting ideas from them, um, you know, hey, we're having a problem with this. Do you have any suggestions? Or this is going really well. You know, can we do more of this? You know, just bringing them along the process is one of the best things I think that you can do because essentially what they feel like is they're building something with you compared to you're building something for them to come to work and, you know, and they're just kind of doing their job and then they go home and they come back and, you know, compared to now they're building something that's going to be bigger, getting really clear on the mission and the vision and making sure that they're clear on that. So I heard you earlier talk about onboarding. Part of that onboarding process should be, this is what our mission is. This is what our vision is. This is why we do what we do. This is the impact that we want to make. And then making sure from a hiring perspective that they're all on board. If there's dreams and goals that they have, you know, as for, for the doctors, can, is there something that you can do to help contribute to that? You know, is there something that you can do for their growth? Sometimes it's not the money, you know, most times it's not the money. It's how you make a person feel. It's how they feel when they're working with you. It's do they feel appreciated? Do they feel like they're just there as just working? You know, do they feel seen? So if you can make them feel good about themselves, because you do, you have the patient experience, but you also have your team experience. And that goes back to your business culture. So if you can make them feel that they're part of something, then that goes way further than oftentimes where they're nervous to leave because they're not sure what's going to be waiting for them on the other side because they have something that's so great and, and you know, and so good. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, another thing along the lines of team that you, you know, you talked about making sure you're hiring the right fit. Mm -hmm. Um, which is so obviously important. Um, How do you realize though, do you see people hold on to the wrong fit? Oh my gosh. Firing is terrible. (laughs) I hate it. Like, oh goodness gracious, the way that I've looked, and that's human nature. We're all good people. We want to, we don't want to, you know, we've in our mind, it's their livelihood, it's their, you know, it's their paycheck, it's who they are as a person, all of those things. One of the things that I've been able to do, because I've hired hundreds of people, I've had to let go of not hundreds of people, but I have let people go, multiple people. And essentially one of the things that I've come to the conclusion of is you're allowing for them to move on to something that they're going to be great at, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to let them go and you can't be maybe a reference for their next position. It doesn't mean that you have to let them go and it has to be in this terrible way 
No, like you can definitely let people go gracefully. Um, sometimes on the flip side of that, sometimes the, you know, the employee or the team member doesn't take it the best way. But at the end of the day, part of the unsexy side of being a CEO is you have to do what's in the best interest of the practice. But the way that I look at it too, is you're doing what's in the best interest of the employee too, because if they're not happy or if they're not doing a good job, oftentimes they're feeling that, especially if you've had multiple conversations if you're doing a lot of, you know, pouring into them, you're trying to help and mold and grow and, you know, doing all those things and they're just not getting it, they're going to feel that too. So allow for them to move on to something that's going to be a better situation for them compared to you feeling bad and just trying to keep them there. But you're frustrated, they're frustrated, and it's just not working out. So if you've done your due diligence, then it should be an easier conversation to have. Right. So, But there's like, there's like a, a time period though, where you're patient and ha- pouring into yes. them, right? Like, or like, have you ever hired, like, what if I hired someone that I was just like, oh, I have like alarms going off. Like, do you still wait? And no. like, let's see if we get, no. So no, when, <laughs> no. when like you, you know, you know, when you know, you know, like essentially, you know, you know. And so one of the things I would say is 90 days, but within that first 30 days, you should have a good feeling of, I want to see, you know, but if you were like, no, this just isn't a good fit, go ahead, cut the, you know, cut the ties, mm-hmm. let it go, realize, learn from it. What happened? What, what did I miss? You know, what did that, what did I see? What did I like in that person for me to even hire this person? You know, so, cause sometimes we are hiring from a place of desperation. Sometimes we're hiring <laughs> based on a vibe. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm oh going out to dinner with this person and they're not really built from a skill set perspective. <laughs> so, looking at the situation, but yes, go ahead and let them go. Um, it's funny because you hit on two words that were like my reflection of like, uh, an employee that just wasn't is one I hired from a place of desperation and two, I thought, so like, okay, so our team in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big. I think we have 10 people. We're at a point where I forget, right? Like it's like, as a parent, <laughs> I, I only have two kids, but like parents, when they get to like five, they're like, yeah. Do we have everybody? Um, so it's really funny because I do the same thing with my team where I'll like throw out a coffee order and I'll be like, who are we missing? We got one, two, three. Anyway, so I think we have 10. Um, but the other word you used was like, are you hiring for a vibe? And so I thought, okay, as we're getting bigger, the key to a well-rounded team is having all these different personality types. Okay. Different strengths. Um, and I thought that that meant that it might be okay if someone wasn't necessarily our vibe, because if, if we're growing, we don't want everyone to be our, cause we were hiring a doctor and I was like, well, there are people, I have a very strong personality type. I have a very specific type um, and there are people, I don't, there's like a couple that don't like that, you know, mm-hmm. and they prefer a different doctor with a different personality type. So I thought like, well, I'll hire someone who's definitely very different and some people like, and it's okay that maybe I don't. And that was a big mistake. So like, how do you hire a well-rounded team that involves different personality types while not falling into that trap? Yeah, you hit on it in regards to looking at strengths. So 
you know, what are, what's the strength that you need within the practice? You know, is what are, there, you said, you know, your strength finder, right? Yeah. Yeah. Strengths? So I'm, I am a relationship builder. That's essentially what oh. it is. So like my five strengths are harmony, relator, responsibility, consistency, and activator. So yeah. So essentially if I go in, I'm going to be able to build a great relationship with you and, you know, essentially, but when it comes to some of the strategy part of it, I struggle, which for my team, my director of operations, she's great with strategy, you know, so we're able to, you know, to be able to work things out and all that good stuff. But, um, but no, but based on for, you know, for the practice, just look at the strengths, like, what are the strengths that you need? What are the clients, you know, that what are in the patients, like, what do you think would be a good fit for, again, going back to that business culture that you're creating that mission, if you can hire, regardless of the personality, if you can hire somebody who has a great buy-in for what you're building, right, is excited about what you're building, and then has the skill set that you need. And so that's going back down to how many years of experience do they need to have? You know, what have they done in their past? What skills, you know, are they able to, are they, I guess, from technology? Are they savvy with that? You know, what is their demeanor when they're working with patients? Like when you start to look at things from a tangible perspective, it makes hiring so much easier compared to, I think that this personality would be a really great fit. Sure. That personality might be a good fit and it might be what the practice needs, but do they meet all the other criteria that the practice needs and not compensating yourself or selling yourself short for um, what you think that, that it needs. The other thing too is having your team help interview. So that's one of the things I've always done is I've always had other people interview outside of me because they're going to be able to pick up on things that maybe I haven't picked up on or I didn't know about um, just to make sure that it's a good fit you know, all around, you can also have them do a test run, you know, so you can bring them in as long as from a HIPAA standpoint, you know, just with some practices that that's in place, but mm -hmm. you can always have them come in and do a test run just to get more of a better fit for their practice, you know, if they're going to be a good fit for their practice. So we've had providers come in and observe, you know, just to see, to get a better feel for if they actually want to work at the practice and if they think it's going to be a good fit for them. And then if, is it going to be a good fit for us too? Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, you, you talk about burnout. We, we all, everybody's talking about burnout. Burnout must be like the damn word of 2022 and But one of the things I saw that you talk about that I haven't seen is dealing with burnout in your team. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so much focus on burnout for the CEO, um, but not so much about your team. And like, you know, is there, first of all, ideally you're preventing burnout is I'm assuming that making sure that you hire the right skill set, the right person mm -hmm. that they're actually going to be happy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, too, is we talk about energy amongst our team meetings. We're always diving into having, you know, do you need time off? So, for example, my director of operations was off earlier this week and my marketing person is off today. So and part of that was conversations of how are you feeling? You know, we've had a really busy quarter one, you know, we're starting into quarter two. So just having those honest conversations. How are you doing today? You know, do you need time off? You know, is there some are you happy with what you're doing? You know, again, going back to the growth, 
are, is what you're working on, is that fulfilling to you? Is there anything else that you would like to work on? Is there a project that we're working on that is of interest to you? So again, just looking at your team as a whole person, um, and you're right. Like we talk about us as, as business owners with what our burnout is, us, you know, with providers, you know, what that burnout looks like. But if you're great and your team is burned out, that's not going to help you. And you're going to end up being just as burned out because they're burned out. So you want to make sure that everybody is essentially doing what they need to do, that you're doing what you need to do. Um, and that everybody's coming from the best place possible. And I know sometimes it's just, it just, sometimes it's just busy. It just is what it is, but you can still make sure that you are setting yourself up for success and your team up for success where they're just not always doing, because I find too, sometimes teams, they just want to make the boss happy, Mm -hmm. you know, so they'll just say, yes, 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 yes. Compared to are you sure you're good with this? You know, what's the plan and letting them to have the ability to push back if they feel like, you know, this is just, I have all these other projects that I need to do. Let me finish this before I take this on and being okay with that, you know, coming out with a plan for how can you still get it done? Um, and then having real conversations, do we need to add on an additional team member? You know, is it, that's part of how our team has grown. So, um, we've had to hire because I've maxed out, you know, one person and they've been very honest saying, I think we need to delegate that to somebody else. You know, what can we do about that? And so a lot of it's, again, it's just all about open communication and just being really honest. I love that. Well, um, so kind of final question here. Uh, what are, if, if you had to pick one thing, one thing that CEOs don't want to work on, but need to the most, like where can they spend like the majority of their time pouring into building a skill? Like whether it's the skill that's most lacking, but like, where do you see the most the thing that people need to build? Uh, this probably might be unexpected, but I'm going to say themselves, <laughs> you know, essentially mm-hmm. themselves when it comes down to building a practice and building a business, it's hard. You know, it is hard work. There's a lot of dedication, tenacity um, that has to come with that, you know, not always being seeing if you're not seeing a result, but still showing up, you know, still doing the work, still stepping into that bigger vision, you have to be in a place where you're good. So if you are not making sure that you're good, um, and this is personally, this is energetically, this is, you know, if you need a therapist, if you need, you know, to take a vacation, if you need to take time off, if you need a rest on a Sunday or a Saturday, you know, all of those things, you need to go home early it's making sure that you're in a better place because you can learn all the business strategy, you can learn all the skills, but you're not going to be in a place to actually absorb it because you aren't in a good place. So part of the work that I do, especially with my clients, is I always start with them first. Um, and then we go into, you know, enhancing the skill set and implementing strategy. But we always start with them as a person first. So you always start with you first. Always. Okay, so if someone uh, tell people where to get more of you, where they can like work with you, how do they find you? Yeah, yeah, thank you. You can find me at in, on Instagram. I'm always on Instagram, so that's at Savvy Clover S A V V Y C L O V E R Coaching, and you can also find me on my website, so www.savvyclover.com. So there is a free business health checklist that's there waiting for you. So looking at your practice, including you holistically, um, there's some really great tips there for you too. So. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much, Brandy. This is great. Like I said, 11 and a half years in and I have like, I took like side notes of like what <laughs> I need to work on with my team. Great. This is good. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun conversation. So thank you. Good. All right, she slayers. I hope you loved and learned as much from this as I did. Um, go back, get pen and pencil if you were not, if you were running or cleaning your house or something like that. And go find Brandy on Instagram. She's got a ton of free resources and information on there that is super, super helpful. So until next week, bye. Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. Don't wait.